to another Ghost Cult Magazine podcast. I'm your host, Keefe. Today's podcast is an interview with Harley Flanagan of Chromex. Check it out. The Ghost Cult Magazine podcast welcomes in the great Harley Flanagan of Chromex. How are you today, sir? I am great, and thanks for, for that. <laughs> you are great. And uh, congratulations, first and foremost, on In the Beginning, uh, which is fantastic. Great record. Uh, it's almost like the record we need right now. There's so much foul shit in the air, just let alone this week, but right now in the world, I yeah. feel like this uh, album's a real shot in the arm. Uh, so I really appreciate it and thank you. Well, I'm I'm glad that uh, that you like it and um, yeah, it, it couldn't have come. It couldn't have came out at a weirder time, right? Historically, you know, I mean, this is a you now this is a new experience for everybody, you know. Um, but um, I'm glad you like it. Uh, I'm just, uh, you know, glad that I finished it and, and um, everything is rolling now. You know, I mean, it's really unfortunate. We had a bunch of tours, a bunch of festivals lined up for this summer, but, um, you know, which obviously everything was canceled. But um, so far, everything has been rescheduled for next year. All the big festivals we were on in Europe have been rescheduled and we've been filling up the rest of the dates in between so whatever we don't do this year we will be doing double next year right i know next year is going to be we're all going to be tired from exhaustion but it's our you know just be it's, it's going to be an onslaught of stuff in a good way yeah, um you yeah, know we'll, well, take, we'll I, take i think people are going to appreciate going out much more than they ever have so you know well, we've been taking shit for granted for a long time, not just shows and the yeah. music scene, but life. Uh, all of life. Life, you know, simple things, running water, <laughs> refrigeration, right. you know, air right. conditioning. Yes. Imagine the conceit of people that they couldn't stay home for a few months. Like, no, that, you know, it's, I, it's pretty, uh, some of the things I hear people bitching about are really unbelievable. You know, I mean, right. I, I understand, you know, this is a rough time for everybody. You know, I've been out of work for a couple months. It's, you know, we're, yeah. you know, nobody's having an easy run here, but um, you know, I do think that people are being kind of selfish and uh, really petty in a, in a lot of ways. I mean, it's like, you know, anyway, be that as it may. As it may. Right on. And, and of course, I hope that you no one in your immediate circle, the band got anybody in the band or your crew. I hope everyone's whole and no one's, no, you know, everybody's lost it, some people, but I hope you're okay. It is. I am all right, but it has been pretty nuts. I mean, um, you know, that like, I mean, just in my building alone, you know, I have had neighbors on both sides of my apartment that uh, were sick and the, my neighbors upstairs uh, in fact, one of my neighbors died. I, I actually saw him got carried out on a stretcher and he was dead like three days later. So, I mean, this is definitely very real, you know, I mean, I know some people are trying to downplay it and I get it, you know, um, but, uh, you know, people are, everybody's arguing about the numbers and statistics and this and that, but, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I mean, it's, everything is about odds, right? You know, you got to try to, to, boost your odds of nothing bad happening and boost your odds of good things happening. So if, if being a little bit more cautious is what it takes, you know, then, then people should respect that. You know, even the people who think that this is a lot of hype and everything else, out of respect for other people who, who may not share your feelings or out of respect for people who may have compromised 
health. You know, I think the arrogance of some of the people out there, like, you know, like uh, when I see them like yelling at people for wearing masks or like, just like, you know, there's some real idiots out there. You know, it's like out of respect for everybody, everybody should just take a, a, a little step in, in the direction of precaution, you know? I mean, uh, obviously we can't stay home forever. We're going to be in contact with people. You know, I wear a mask if I have to go to the store, if I know I'm going to be somewhere around people. If, I'm, if there's nobody around and I'm walking my dogs, yeah, fine, I'm not wearing a mask. But when I see someone coming, I put it on and I take a few steps to the side so that they can pass and so on. You know, it's really just a matter of of respect but you know so many people are like politicizing it and um you know people are really arrogant really stupid you know they don't know how to respect each other's space and each other's concerns so you know but um hey you know that's why i walk with a cane now it's not because i have a bad knee it's because if anybody gets too goddamn close and pisses me off too much I don't, i'm not gonna put my hands on you i'm gonna put my cane on you you know nice you gotta do what you gotta do hard wood <laughs> <laughs> right on man right on yeah it's it's a weird time in the world and i need certainly you've never you know put out many albums in your career and uh it's it's a strange time for everybody mm-hmm. to not be able to kind of your album's coming out and you're not going to play a record release show in person you can't sell it to a kid over the merch table like you have for you know 30 years yeah, it's weird 30 40 yeah. years almost yeah but bro let's get down to real shit i mean i can't see relatives you know uh, yeah of course I, I haven't gone to work in two months like screw being yeah. on tour let's like get down to like real life shit like right you know but uh you know we will make it through this i have faith and uh you know science will come up with uh you know they'll de- they'll develop immunization and you know will our immune systems will get stronger and we will get accustomed to this and um just in time for whatever else comes next <laughs> right and that's what people got to realize is you know this is just the first of these you know of this type of pandemic you know the human race has dealt with this type of shit before we've had you know spanish flus and we've had plagues and all kinds of crazy stuff that 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 have killed lots of people you know it's not the end of you know things are changing for sure but 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 the really critical thing is you know what do we learn from this you know because this this will happen again you know whether whether it's uh uh, biological terrorism or you know biological warfare or whether you know whether nature just mutates and finds new ways to kill us like it tends to do very yeah, well, often so you know how do we learn to, to cope with this you know that's that's what's going to be important because that's what's going to um protect us moving forward Indeed, the planet definitely wants to kill us. Um, look at, look I like, at, the, like this. I mean, we've been pretty much destroying it since, you know, since we've been able to. And, you know, so it's, you know, it's <laughs> try, trying to uh, level playing field a little, I guess. Right on. I like the PMA. I, I do think we're going to get it back. And I, I'm, I'm appreciative to have distractions like music and work, a little bit of work to help me get through. And it's great. Like I said, it's great to talk to you on the eve of this album. Uh, it's got to feel like a bit of a vindication for you, right? Like, uh, 
you know, you, you really fought very hard to get uh, control back of the name or yeah. not. You never really lost it, but to get the name rightfully back to you and then put this new band yeah. together. Well, and Just to have the world finally, you know, finally hear the truth, you know. It's like, I, I, I can only liken it to like, to having your actual, to having your name stolen from you. I mean, it's like, you know, you spend your whole life being this person, you know, and, and developing the relationships you've developed, you know, building a reputation for yourself, you know, getting a job, earning an income, all this. And then imagine all of a sudden you walk out your door one day and look, you're not, no, that's not your name anymore. And all of a sudden you show up at your job and they're like, you're not Harley Flanagan, you know? You know, it's like all of a sudden everything you've worked for your whole life has been like hijacked by a bunch of scabs and like an ungrateful fuck who wasn't even there in the beginning. It's like, you know, it's like, holy shit, what just happened? You know, and then to have to, you know, I mean, yeah, it was, a, it, this sucked, you know, and, and I don't think people realize that, you know, behind the scenes, well, fuck behind the scenes. It's, it's been, you know, all over my social media for years. I've extended myself to all of these motherfuckers on and off throughout the years, you know, everybody on the edge of crawler record and, like, no, everybody. It's like, you know, I've always been the one who was like, you know, what can we do to, you know, what can we do to not all walk away from this so miserable? Like, how can we, there's, you know, there's so many fans out in the world. Don't you guys care? Like, you know, and that's the thing that blew my mind is it's like, you got a, a, you got grown men who it's like, yo, there's thousands and thousands of people out there who would be so thrilled to see you guys all share a stage. And it's like, that doesn't mean enough to you to, to get past your own little bullshit ego and your own beef or gripe, gripes or whatever it is you think you have, whatever meaningless shit that you think you have is more important than making like thousands of people happy. You know, you can't put aside your bullshit for fucking 45 minutes and get on stage with four other dudes and make some noise. And to me, that's, that's, to me, that just says, you know, that says that you don't deserve those fans. You know, you, you, not only do you not deserve those fans, if you're not willing to put aside your own little petty bullshit for your fans, you don't deserve them. And, and you don't deserve to be in this fucking band. If you're not willing to fucking bend a little bit, you don't deserve it. And you know what? And you don't fucking deserve to play with me. I, I, I wrote this fucking music. I came up with that name. And if you motherfuckers can't get past yourselves, it's not my fucking problem, man. You know, I mean, and, and quite frankly, I'm not trying to go backwards. You know, my hand has always been, I, I, my door's always been open. I'm always willing to discuss. I'm always willing to talk. I'm always willing to try. But I sure as shit ain't fucking chasing myself trying to stick my head back up my ass you know it's like if you guys don't want to do it i'm gonna play with people who want to do it people who appreciate me people who appreciate the fans people who like to play with each other and 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 um i'm really proud of the lineup that i put together for this record i think in many ways i think this may be the best chromax album ever and um you know i'm i'm disappointed with all those guys and 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 just, you know, where their heads are at. But I'm really happy to be moving forward. And 
I ain't fucking crying over the past. I ain't crying over shit, man. My life is better now than it ever has been. And, and to be quite honest, letting those motherfuckers back in my life in any way, shape, or form is, uh, you know, it's kind of like going back into a bad relationship after you've had a bitter divorce. It's like, why? What? Who the fuck is going to do that, you know? I mean, but for all you fans out there, you should understand that for y'all, Y'all like the kids. I would do it for the kids. You know what I'm saying? I'd, I'd try to hold the family together for the kids. But, you know, there comes a time when the family's just has to splinter. So, you know what? Daddy's still writing music. Right on. Uh, and it is, a, it is a terrific record. And it, it does feel, I don't know if you wrote, I know you work constantly, but I don't know if you wrote most of this record before you had the lineup or after, but it does sound like a very organic, natural record with the guys you have. Yeah, I mean, I I started writing the songs. When we went in the studio, I had about 25 pieces of music written. And uh, me and my drummer actually tracked most of the album, just the two of us. You know, I got like all the parts that I had stored up um we just went through all my notes and my files and recorded everything and then i went through it all sifted through it and decided what i thought would make the best songs um we only recorded like a handful of them as a as a group uh, and then uh like the first i think like six songs we recorded and then the rest of it me and my drummer laid down all the tracks and then <laughs> I pretty much arranged all the guitar parts and the, and the cellos and all that other stuff. And, uh, and then we built the record and, um, you know, it was the, the process that I did it this time, you know, like I said, half of the record was really, like I said, I had six songs that were done, done. And the rest of it, we kind of created it in the studio it was like uh because to be quite honest a, a lot of times the spontaneous energy the, the the fire that comes out of the initial moment of, of creating the riff that's when it's really magical that's when it's really special by the time you've like practiced it 30 40 times it, it already starts to lose that initial fire you know sometimes the first time you play something even with its mistakes it just comes out like, wow. And by the time you all know it and have played it a bunch of times, like, yeah, you know it better, but it doesn't have that same explosiveness. You know, that, that creative moment where you're just like, ah! You know, and um, so this record really, it captures all of that because some of it was written and a lot of it was like, okay, let's do this. And so I think it captured the best elements of, uh, of, you know, meticulous planning and spontaneous explosiveness. Well, that's, that's nice, man. That's what it's supposed to be. Uh, you mentioned cellos. That's the instrumental, right? Between yeah. wars. That's great. This is so dramatic and it almost sounds like a movie soundtrack. It or is. Like a, a walk it up. It's a movie. Is it? It's yeah. a movie mm -hmm. called Between Wars. Oh, okay. Which I actually have a major part in. No way. That's why I know you were doing some acting now, right? It's up. Uh, you could actually, it, we were uh, looking for distribution. Uh, there was a bunch of networks that were, we were talking to, but none of them were really giving us what we felt was a fair offer. And then with this whole pandemic shit and, 
And with the success of the quarantine show I did, that shit got over like 200,000 views. So we were like, you know what? And then Ice-T just put out a movie on Vimeo and stuff. And we were like, you know what? Maybe the way to do this right now is just to go straight to the people. So the movie Between Wars, it's up on Vimeo. And um, if you go to my website or you go to betweenwarsthemovie.com, I think it is. But um, check it out. It's, it's, I, I think it's pretty cool. And it's you know my acting debut. And Promags have several songs on the soundtrack. And um, there's some uh, hip-hop artists on it. It's got a great soundtrack. It's really it, it's pretty solid. Awesome, man. We'll link everything in the uh, description of the post and everything. Uh, that's exciting. I'm going to check that out for sure. Um, but yeah, I love that track. But of course, you know, the rest of the albums, you know, it's killer, man. I love Rocky. I'm a huge ST fan. And I, I love, and even after ST, I love Rocky's stuff in Fishbone. He's yeah, a genius. Rocky's a, a, one of the true guitar legends of this genre. I mean, mm. there are few guitarists that have come out of the world of hardcore that really have the, um, the technical skills and uh, the the creative thinking that he has is, uh, you know, some of the songs, like even, for instance, I mean, um, No Turning Back, okay? Like that song was pretty much done and I sent it to Rocky and he added that weird arpeggiated guitar thing that kind of runs throughout the whole song and he sent it back to me and I was like, wow, that is fucking cool. Like, you know, I didn't, I didn't hear that in my head when I wrote it and he heard it in his head and it just, it was like icing on the cake, man. Right on. Yeah. I'm so thrilled that, uh, when that was announced and then, uh, G man has also played with you before. Also. Oh yeah. G-Man is a legend. Yeah. He's, he, you know what? And he is becoming more and more of a legend and, and very well deserved. I mean, he has played with so many people. Um, I mean, he played with the goddamn B-52s. You know, he played with uh, uh, Bernie Whirl from P-Funk. Uh, he played in uh, his band for a long time. He's played with um, uh, Mecca, uh, this African artist. He's played with so many different people and different styles of music. I mean, he really is, man, he really is a badass and uh one of my best friends, you know? So, I mean, I, the fact that he's becoming more and more of a legend, I'm so proud, you know? Nice. And then uh, Gabby Wright came in and he had a kind of interpret stuff you wrote, but also did he get a chance to kind of put his own parts on oh, too? Yeah, you know what? Everybody, you know what? I write most of the rhythm parts, you know, for the guitars as well. I write pretty much all the rhythm parts actually, but um. But these guys all get a, a chance to express themselves musically because I, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't tell anybody what to play when it comes to like personal stuff, like leads and stuff like that. You know, I may have an idea that I may suggest or whatever, but like I said, you know, when Rocky did that arpeggiated thing, I didn't know he was going to do that. And I was like, that's amazing. You know? So like if these guys do something and it works, you know, I'm, I always give them room to add something to my songs, but, um, you know, you, you can't restrict people that are, you know, at that level because then you're restricting what the outcome could be. So, um, 
But everybody understands that, you know, these are my orchestrations, these are songs that I put together, but they would not be what they are without those guys. You know, mm -hmm. there's no question, you know. And, um, you know, yeah, man. I love playing with all those guys. For me, this is really like a super group of Crow Mags. I, I, when I got the record deal and I knew I had a budget behind me, you know, me and Rocky had been talking about playing together again for years. It just never had the budget or the f facilitation, you know. All of a sudden, I had a record deal. I was like, yo, Rocky, you want to do an album? Yo, Gabby, you want to do an album? Yo, G-Man, you want to do an album? And it was like, pow, pow, you know? Yes. It's like Voltron. Everybody comes together. It's awesome. Yeah, man. It's, it's like Crotron. Crotron. There you go. Uh, that's awesome, man. Um, in addition to, like, again, really good songs, your vocals, awesome bass. Uh, and not just that, of course, it's going to sound like a Crotron's record. It sounds, you know, it's got your DNA in it. I love the, like, there's a gritty realness to the record that uh, I love, like, the train pulling into Times Square and almost like for people who don't know New York and they're not New Yorkers, which is fine. They like, that's what it's like to get off the train. Yeah. I, that's you hear the chaos or yeah. your boy calls you from lockup and you hear, yeah, like, you, know, you know, you have a collect call from Rikers uh, Island. Facility, right up. Right? No, and yeah. it's like, Oh man, I just take, you know, for me being a native New Yorker, that just kind of like, Oh, that's my life story yeah. a little bit, yeah, yeah. like a minute of it, you know? Yeah. Well, I wanted that, I, and I wanted to be able to share that with, you know, kids in, you know, in small towns everywhere, all over the world, you know, kids that, New York has a, there's something about it that it, it, you can't fake it. You can't replicate it. That's why the, all those classic New York movies are just like, they, they really are historic. It's like they, that the, whether it's taxi driver or this or that, like they, they bring you into a grittiness, a griminess that is just like, it's always been fascinating to people who aren't right in it. And I, I just wanted to try to sonically bring people into my life a little bit, into my experience, into what it's like to take the train that I take every day and what it's like to have the, you know, the, you know, the, the religious parade walking outside your window and with the carrying all the statues and, you know, and what it's like to, to hear the, the drummers on the street and to hear the, uh, the sirens and the, the chaos, you know, most, you know, people who live in these little bucolic towns and like wherever the fuck of Europe and all, you know, they, they don't, they don't feel, they don't, they don't feel this. They don't hear those sounds on the regular. So in order for them to really understand and, and, and get inside, I felt like I, I, yeah, I borrowed that from, I guess, from Pink Floyd, I guess, subconsciously, you know, I just adding sounds and, and texture, you know, that it's like ear candy, you know, it, it pulls you into the, the, to the sounds and the music you know, the culture of where it came from. Right on. And then in terms of that grittiness, uh, you would know this, you know, you've seen some shit. You grew up on the Lower East Side when it was the real Lower East Side and squats and A7 and all that stuff. Uh, what's your take on, you know, sort of the 2020 Lower East Side and Soho and gentrification? I, I never thought I would live to see it or even live to see Brooklyn, what it is now, compared yeah. to like 25 years ago. So what's your take on that? Because you grew uh, you up here. Know. Uh, up until recently, it kind of used to irk me. Uh, I don't know when, but at some point, I just came to terms with, you know what? 
this is life. I mean, and this is New York City. You know, this city is always changing and it's always been changing. And probably for every generation that there has been, they've gone through a period where they're like, oh, the neighborhood's changing. Oh, gentrification, all this. Like, you know, this is nothing new. Um, I... You know, I, it's weird, man. It's weird to see what it's turned into. I, I honestly don't recognize that neighborhood when I go down there. You know, I, I went down, me and my wife were downtown doing something. We had to go pick something up or whatever. And we drove down and we were on 8th Street and I, I didn't realize we were on 8th Street. And this is a street that I, as a kid, had walked up and down so many times that there was like, you know... I wore like a groove in the cement from like walking up and down that street so many times. Like I used to always laugh when I was a kid and be like, if I had 10 cents for every time I've walked up this and down this block, I'd never have to work in my life, you know? And I honestly couldn't recognize it. I mean, uh, it used to bother me. I don't really give a fuck anymore. Yeah, I really don't. My, I'm, I, my life is really good, you know. I'm really happy where I am in my life. And, uh, you know, oh, that. <laughs> right on. Yeah, I'm not anti-capitalist because, you know, the city needs people to make money and, you know, you know that happens. That's just a part it of is life. What it is. I, mean, I, I worry about uh, native New Yorkers not being able to live in New York City someday. Yeah, yeah, I agree. But you know what? There's other places, man, you know move <laughs> you know right to, be, to be honest there's very little here that is really meaningful anymore mm. especially to the people that grew up here right of course so it's and like, again, we lost our specialness a little bit like new york's uni yeah, uniqueness you know, it's you know the, the the spirit has really been squeezed right the fuck out of it you know and now it's just like a place for tourists to come visit you know and um and you have to have, you know, a lot of money to live here now. You know, if you're not like second, third generation in the same apartment that has rent control that your grandparents left you, you know, you're fucked. Mm. So, but um, life goes on. What are you going to do? <laughs> Keep living. Yeah. Keep fighting. Keep fighting a good fight. Um, I just got a few more for you, man. You've been terrific. I really appreciate your time. No worries. Um, I think about the first time I ever saw you play live. And like I said, we're just a few years apart, but I remember seeing you handle, be on stage and jump around and jump, you know, with the bass. Well, and I was like, out of curiosity. Oh, for sure. It's like, uh, probably CBs or something like, you know, before it was before Coney was uh, happening. So it might've been like, uh, late eighties. I didn't start going to shows till like 87, 88. And I wasn't I, in truth. I wasn't really, an OG punk. I was like a thrash kid. I was a crossover. Yeah, kid. Yeah. My, I did a, one of my, uh, I do like a YouTube series and I talked about my first punk show was Mucky Pup and Burn at a matinee. And I was terrified the whole time I was going to get killed. Cause I had like long metal hair yeah. and I, I had a like master of puppet shirt on it. And my friends were like, you're going to get fucking killed today. Funny and enough. I was like, I, I hope not. And everybody was good to me and everybody in punk has it's always really asked funny me. because I recently was bullshitting with, um, Scott Eden and uh well it was all it was at a mr bungle show so it was me scott yep. and um dave lombardo and mike obviously everybody 
And uh, I was telling them a story about the first time, one of the first times I remember seeing Scott Ian at CB's. And he came walking towards me. It was him. He had his long ass hair. And he was wearing Doc Martens with like, I forget what color laces and rolled up jeans and suspenders and a leather jacket. And, and he was with this kid who had a shaved head and was wearing a t-shirt with like a metal band on it and like jeans and sneakers. And I'm like, I just remember looking at the two of them and being like, they look like their heads should be switched. Like that was my first thought. And my second thought was, I don't know if this is like the beginning of the end or if this is the beginning of something new. And I just remember looking at them and just, and I remember Scott looking at me like kind of scared. <laughs> and I, I, so I told this story and Scott looks up and he goes, I remember that. <laughs> like he, he remembered it like it was yesterday. Like he remembers seeing me and looking at me and be like, oh shit, there's Harley Flanagan. Like, you know, and um, yeah, man, I respected those guys and like the nuclear assault guys and, uh, carnivore and all those guys because you know well obviously nobody was gonna fuck with pete Steele. he was fucking giant but like in those early days you know it was definitely an intimidating place for a metalhead to go into you know i mean christ i remember a fucking huge brawl that broke out in front of cb's because so a metalhead got in an argument with a fucking idiot friend of mine about who was better anthrax or the chromags um well it ended up with several people going to the hospital one guy getting thumb bit off uh it 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 got ugly real quick and um let's just let me just say um the metalheads didn't fare too well that matinee Right. Uh, I, I knew better than ever uh, voice an opinion. It, and keep my you know, mind. sometimes it's just better to shut up, even if you think you're right, right. you know. Anyway, so, but I gave those guys a lot of credit for sticking it out. And, um, you know, Scott's a fucking cool dude and all those guys. And, and, and ultimately, I think those people all getting into our world really, um, it caused the music to uh, improve. <laughs> You know, for sure, for sure, it definitely made an impact. Scott in his book talked about you guys co-signing them and how it was important to them. And uh, I was gonna say, just to finish my point from earlier, is when I first saw you play as a guy from the Bronx who's about to sit, like maybe a little younger than you, but still, I was like, even though I had like musical training and a background, I was like, it seemed unattainable to me. And actually, you made it like tangible that like yo, a kid, a kid from the streets can pick up a bass and be part of this. And it was really important to me. I just wanted to make sure I thought I thanked you. But also, like, I think you still have, like, that ability to, you know, some kid out there today who likes pop music is going to hear a hardcore song and it's going to connect to them or a metal song and it's going to connect to them. And I think that's great. You know what? That's a beautiful thing, man. That's, um, I feel like I have, uh, that's, you know, like, uh, that's, kind of like passing the torch in a sense, you know, that's, that's, I remember feeling that way when I heard the Ramones, like, I remember feeling that way when I heard the Sex Pistols, I remember feeling like, wow, you don't have to be um, a virtuoso to, um, to write good music and to have fun playing it. And to, it doesn't have to be, uh, Mahavishnu or Jimi Hendrix or whatever. It doesn't have to have like all this technique 
to uh, to hit home. Yeah, and uh, that's had it not been for the Sex Pistols and 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 bands like that, you know, I, I was listening to funk with jazz when I was a kid. You know, first records I bought were Stevie Wonder, Music in the Key of Life, and like Herbie Hancock. Headhunters and uh, secrets, you know. I mean, I was fully into, you know, Santana and Fusion, and and then I heard the Sex Pistols. <laughs> Pow! Changed my life. The Big Bang. You know. Good stuff, man. Harley, man, it has been an absolute pleasure to wrap with you and talk about this stuff. Congratulations on this record. I'm super excited. I, I hope we get everything back to normal eventually and we get to see you on we stage. Will. We will. What you got to uh, do. We will, and I'm looking forward to it as well, my man. You know, we will be on tour next year, and uh, I look forward to seeing you at the show. You will. Thank you so much, man. Bye, Have a great brother. day. Appreciate Thank you. you. man. Appreciate you, my brother. Take care. Stay All safe. Right. All right. Peace, bro. Peace. Thanks for checking out today's podcast. Follow, like, and subscribe wherever you hear these podcasts. Also, check out Ghost Cult Magazine on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And finally, check us out at ghostcultmag.com. We're out. Peace.